Hey folks, just a quick note to let you know you can now support the podcast by shopping on Amazon.com. Just go to the specific page on Nerdist.com for this episode, click on the Amazon banner and shop as you normally would, and Daddy gets a taste. Now entering Nerdist.com. Hello and welcome to episode 91 of the Competitive Erotic Fan Fiction Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Cook, and you found the internet's number one most trusted source for Muppet boners and horny loners. So many upcoming shows. We got October 19th at the Virgil in Los Angeles. That is free every month. November 5th at the Lexington Ave Brewery in Asheville. November 6th at the Hangar in Atlanta. November 7 and 8 at Scruffy City Comedy Festival in Knoxville, Tennessee. November 13 and 14 at the Hell Yes Fest in New Orleans, 11:20 at the Rendezvous in Seattle, and 11:23 at the Fun House in Portland, Oregon. But today we've got round two from a show recorded September 21st at the Virgil, featuring Jake Fogelnest, DC Pearson, Tony Sam, and James Fritz. Reading pieces they wrote based upon audience suggestions. As usual, you hear them draw topics, and then we'll fast forward to hear the finished pieces. Enjoy. He is going to be walking around collecting your suggestions over the next five or six minutes while I read you my latest horrifying masterpiece that most of you are going to hate and six of you are going to love. Breaking into the funeral home had been the hard part. But now the handsome red-haired comic stood before her coffin. With one deft blow of a crowbar, he dispatched the lock and lifted the lid. The striking Lothario stroked his lustrous beard and peered inside. Oh, hey, boss. Can we talk? He quipped. It felt good. It felt powerful. For the first time since the fashion police writer's strike that started in April of 2013 and is still happening 17 months later, if anyone cares, Brian Cook had the upper hand. There would be no negotiations tonight. No go-betweens, no lawyers, no guild representatives, no suits. Just a disgruntled employee and the fresh corpse of the recently deceased comedy legend who probably saw her own death as the preferred end to the wage dispute. The undeniably talented Jape Slinger, who was named one of LA Weekly's top comics to watch in 2014 but still couldn't get a fucking Montreal New Faces audition. Smirked. Because he was about to complete phase one of his mission. Cook wasn't sure he'd be able to get it up so close to a dead body. But it turned out his dick got harder than living in Los Angeles on the $500 a week the dead host had paid him. It was only seconds until he blew the first molten glob of revenge sauce onto her frozen visage. I haven't seen a ginger blow it like that since Lindsay Lohan's last field sobriety test, remarked the nimble jokesmith. That blow it line works on four potential levels. His own wit got him instantly hard again. He arced another hot stream of payback. I haven't seen anything go so stiff so quickly since this audience, said Brian, but right now to you people. 
This continued for many minutes. Another load, another perfectly crafted joke, then another and another. All told, he came on her face six times. Six times. Like how Chelsea Handler's writers were paid six times as much for doing the same job for lower ratings. After exhausting his reverse, his reserve of rage goo, Cook went to the back of the room. He raised the window and gave the signal. At once, a barrage of doughy scribes began clambering over the sill. Nearly every writer who had ever been wronged by Joan Rivers, the host of the highest-rated and lowest-paying scripted show on the E-Network. There were a lot, and none wanted to wait their turn. The disgruntled comedy writers crowded around the coffin. The last time so many gays and Jews were crammed together like this had been in a train car to Auschwitz. <laughs> Granted, many weren't really writers at all, but merely sassy homosexual men who head writer Tony Tripoli had wanted to impress in some West Hollywood cock shop or another by giving them the chance to write for America's cunt laureate. <laughs> but Cook needed them all to complete his masterpiece. That's right, tonight... They were going to top off this coffin until it was brimming over, like Christina Aguilera's morning cup of Alfredo sauce. But with cum. Gallons of fucking cum. By the time they were finished, Joan's coffin would be full of more useless seed than a Monsanto testing facility. And before you think he'd forgotten to invite the female writers, there barely were any, because Joan never opened a door that she didn't immediately slam shut behind her. Joan Rivers had few, fewer women under her than Lance Bass. One after another, they paid tribute to their boss each adding a load or two of sticky tribute. It was the Viking funeral of Bukaki parties. Less of a roast, more of a drown. It's a better joke than you just gave it credit for. As Cook watched his cohorts jacking away, he heard a tap at the window. He turned to see Brad Ulrich and Nick Wilcox and several of their slimy brethren, Joan's current staff of picket line crossing writers. Yes, those are their real names. Cook opened the window. What the fuck do you want? He demanded manfully. Can we join in? Nick stammered like a bitch. No fucking scabs, sneered the ginger hero, who then leapt out and proceeded to cave in all of their heads with the aforementioned crowbar. He looked at the demolished skulls of the eight new corpses and quipped, I haven't seen this many dilapidated melons since that Baywatch reunion. It's about breast implants. He really should have been paid more for writing that shit. Back inside, Seaman now neared the top of the coffin and threatened to spill out like Oprah in yoga pants. <laughs> Joan's face was more glazed over than Jessica Simpson in math class. These are all the kinds of jokes she would have told on Fashion Police. I got paid to write them. That's the point of this. I haven't seen this much cream on anything Jewish since a bagel I ate, said a dude who had definitely been fired after one day. The room fell silent and the hack stared at the floor, embarrassed. For the rest of the evening, he made less eye contact than a child prostitute. <laughs> Phase two of Cook's masterpiece was nearing completion. So was Guy Branham. <laughs> who then blew a donkey-sized load that nearly toppled over the celebrity sarcophagus. Brian high-fived Guy. 
It was at once the gayest experience of Brian's life and the most heterosexual of guys. The coffin was almost full. Jizz lapped around the edges like Adele taking her time with a donut. This story has more fat people and cheap shots than Buffalo Wild Wings at happy hour. That is a great fucking joke. And you can all suck my dick. Finally, Cook rallied, blasted one final dose, and resealed the casket. Exhausted but vindicated, the writers stood around quietly for a moment until one finally broke the silence. Hey, I hear BuzzFeed is hiring, he mumbled. BuzzFeed's always hiring. They composed themselves and slowly filed out. It was late, and most of them had to get up early to drive Lyft. Epilogue. Two years later, as the Rivers Estates medical malpractice suit, aka the closest thing Melissa has to a career, drags on, medical examiners are sent to exhume Joan's body. They are later quoted as saying they would never sleep again after what they saw. That's the end. Ah, James, I'm going to get those suggestions, my friend. James Fritz, James Fritz, James Fritz, James Fritz. James Fritz only took nine tries. Thanks, James. And uh, if I could get the round two comics, we'll be writing based upon those suggestions. Clap your hands, ladies and gentlemen. For Tony Sam, James Fritz, Jake Fogelness, DC Pearson, and maybe Matt McCarthy, but I don't see him. Matt, are you here? All right, fuck Matt McCarthy. Uh, let's start with Tony Sam. Give him a round of applause. Tony, step up to this mic. Hello. Hi, Tony. Hello. So, folks, this is how this part works. I'm going to draw one suggestion. If Tony likes it, he can take it and run with it. If he doesn't like it or he's not sure, I will draw a second one, and then you guys will vote with your applause on which one he has to write. Tony, your first option is (laughs) the McDonald's Moon Man from the Mac Tonight ads. Now, I did say no fast food mascots. However, I'm going to let this one slide because it's a very deep cut. take my chances. You want another one? Yeah. All right. Uh, Herbert Hoover. (laughs) So I leave it to you good people. Who wants to hear the Man on the Moon mascot from McDonald's? All right. Who wants to hear Herbert Hoover? (laughs) The Moon Man. All right. Starting over. (laughs) Oh. Don Quixote it is. There you go. It's my show and I do what I want. D.C. Pearson, ladies and gentlemen. Clap your hands for D.C. Hi. Your first option is H.R. Puffin Stuff. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll, I'll spin the wheel. All right. Uh, the Road. <laughs> These are far better. Who wants to hear H.R. Puffin Stuff? One of you suggested it. <laughs> You need to show yourself right now. And then get the fuck out! I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Uh, the Road? DC Pearson, keep it going for Jake Fogelnest. Uh, oh, uh, I don't know how to pronounce the first one. Chitara and uh, another lady, cougar lady from fucking uh, Thundercats, thank you. Uh, Sharia? Sharia? Another one, because I don't know what the fuck that is. Well, neither does the person that wrote it. They're not helping me out at all. Uh, Lenny and George of Mice and Men. 
Yeah. Who wants to hear Thundercats? Again, you guys not fessing up to your own shit. Of Mice and Men. Jake Fogelnest. Finally, Mr. James Fritz. Keep it going. Uh, Nixon and Kissinger. Oh, come on. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, strong reaction. Yeah. How do you feel about Nixon and Kissinger? Uh, like, emotionally? <laughs> you know that's not what I meant. Uh, let's, I'm feeling unlucky. Let's do it. <laughs> the craft. <laughs> yeah. So, who wants to hear Nixon and Kissinger? She wrote Nixon and Kissinger. The craft. James Fritz, let him hear it. Big round of applause for all of your round two comics. I said a big round of applause for all of your round two comics. Jake Fogelness, ladies and gentlemen. Your first round two competitor, let him hear it. Hello. Uh, so it was of mice and men. <laughs> and George raised the gun and steadied it. And he brought the muzzle of it close to the back of Lenny's head. The hand shook violently, but his face set and his hand steadied. Suddenly, a burst of light emerged from the sky. Both men looked up at the blinding light. Shocked, George put down his muzzle. A startled Lenny pissed all over himself like a dumb fuck idiot from Toilet Town. <laughs> a spaceship emerged out of the beam of light, landing in the field with a sonic boom. The doors opened and a gray-faced skeleton-like alien emerged. I am Gloron the Cum Lord. <laughs> Lenny, George, my planet needs you. Our survival is in your hands. A tractor beam grabbed hold of George and raised him to the spaceship. A second tractor beam came out for Lenny, but it couldn't lift him up because he's a giant fat piece of mentally deficient shit. <laughs> a second tractor beam had to pull him up. Lenny was terrified, so he pissed himself again. His light blue overalls were now dark blue because of all the piss. The sun glistened off of his piss overalls. Hot, warm sun made for hot, wet piss denim. <laughs> Lenny and George soon found themselves on board the spaceship. Gloron, the cum lord, spoke. When I said my planet's survival was in your hands, I wasn't being entirely honest. My planet's survival is actually in your dicks. What do you want from us? George screamed. I'm covered in my own piss, added Lenny. <laughs> Goron the Cub Lord made his way over to a giant view screen. Pressing a button, he revealed a glorious volcano. This is the main energy source for my planet. It's due to explode every 100 light cycles, providing enough power to last us over 10,000 Earth lifetimes. Our cum scientists have determined that the volcano is now dormant. It's a cum volcano, George inquired. Not just any cum, Gloron the Cum Lord explained. <laughs> retarded cum. <laughs> my planet is fueled by retarded cum. I see where you're going with this. Nodded George. Do you? Shouted Gloron. Do you get where this is going? <laughs> Lenny slobbered all over himself. The slobber mixed with the golden piss soaked into his denim. He was a slobbery piss starred without a care in the world. George took a deep breath. I assume you want Lenny to crank his hog until he shoots enough of his mentally challenged cum to power your planet. You're half right, Gloron the cum lord said with a wicked smile. 
Even though it was an alien, he still had a mouth. Whatever. <laughs> I want you to suck on his boner. Suck and kiss his piss boner until he shoots his jit. Suck the boner and get the jit out. I want to watch you take the jit, George. It's the only way to save my planet. You have to do it. <laughs> Realizing his fate, George dutifully dropped to his knees, taking a moment to inhale the sweet golden piss taste of Lenny's mongoloid piss denim. Haha, <laughs> <laughs> that tickles, cooed Lenny the giant piss ape. <laughs> George undid his overalls, and as he removed Lenny's micro-penis, he said a quiet prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept this tiny piss dick into my mouth. The courage to suck the cum from the tiny piss dick, and the wisdom to then kiss the cum into the mouth of Gloron, the cum lord. Whoa, 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 who said anything about kissing the cum into my mouth? A panicked Gloron protested. Come on, said George. Ah, okay, replied Gloron. And then George took Lenny's tiny, stupid, retardo prick into his mouth and sucked and sucked. It feels wet and silly, screamed Lenny. Gloron the cum lord took out his three weird alien dicks and started jacking them all at once. Suddenly, Lenny shot his dumb load straight into George's mouth. George ran over to Gloron, grabbing one of his alien cocks while he passionately kissed the cummy mess into his mouth. Yummy cummy, shouted Lenny to no one. (laughs) Suddenly, the volcano on the video screen erupted with a glorious explosion of cum. The cum filled everywhere. The whole spaceship was filled with cum. Too much cum. (laughs) Retarded cum. Lenny, Gloron, and George drown. Cum engulfing them into the abyss. And that is the true story of Scientology. (laughs) Chick Fogelmast. Good going, buddy. Who else have we got round two? The lovely James Fritz. You can do better than that, audience. Or not. It appears that was the best they could do. <laughs> this is about what that will deserve. Did I say that? All right. As the craft. All right. That really sold that. As the craft. All right. 20, 20 years later, after re- reconnecting on an Evanescence Facebook fan page, <laughs> the women from St. Benedict's Academy agreed to meet up at the Jamba Juice in Burbank to bury the hatchet. <laughs> It'd been so long, and they all agreed that teenagers can be mean and immature and jealous, and that they're better people now, and that if the worst thing you did as a kid is kill Skeet Ulrich, then you really shouldn't beat yourself up about it. (laughs) Being semi-telekinetic witches, they all arrived at the same time. Being women, that time was 30 minutes late. Am I right, fellas? Oh, my Dark Lord Satan, it's so good to see you gals, said Feruza Balk with her terrifyingly seductive menthol cigarette voice, her demonic pluck from a doll's head in hell's eyes, scanning Nev Campbell, Robin Tooney, and the black girl. <laughs> oh, shucks, said Nev Campbell in that shy way she has, where you know she's not really shy. I mean, come on, she's a dancer, I think. <laughs> Seriously, what is with your eyes? I mean, it's like looking at your own reflection on the, of an, on the edge of a knife, but a knife you still want to fuck, said Robin Tooney. 
Nope. All right. (laughs) Whatever, said the black girl, because she was a black girl in a movie in the 90s. Okay. (laughs) OMS, I I totes can't believe none of us ever fucked. The sexual tension was so thick, it wasn't even subtext. It was like text, like text floating on top of a lake of teenage pussy juice, said Feruza Balk. Tote, said Nev Campbell. Lat, said Robin Tooney. Word, said the black girl. Feruza Balk stared at the cashier, using her powers to make him begin making four fit and fruitful smoothies, all large. You're going to need to rehydrate when we're done, ladies, she said. Their clothes fly off in an instant. Everyone stands there, proud, defiant, naked women in Burbank. Doing this because they are empowered and it's a comment on them owning their now middle-aged bodies and not some exploitative thing some lonely perverted writer came up with. (laughs) Nev Campbell begins to cry because she's Nev Campbell. (laughs) Robin Turney floats across the Jamba Juice on her knees, her open mouth forming a perfect seal around Nev's hairy, scarred vagina. As her tongue works her clit, it splits in two like a snake. The tongue, not the vagina. This is a pro-woman piece. Robin's forked tongue works Nev's pussy in a way she's never felt before, and she begins to cry not tears of pain, but tears of fucking awesomeness. (laughs) Feruza Balk wants in on the action next and stands next to Nev Campbell. Robin Tunney's ear turns into another mouth because magic, and her ear mouth begins working Feruza's feminist jizz box. They both climax simultaneously, being telekinetic witches. Being women, they both climax 20 minutes late. Am I right, fellas? <laughs> Robin Tunney stands up, her hair caked in the viscous pleasure juice of her former friends. It's almost entirely white. Watch this, she says, and shakes her hair. It changes back to its original brown hue. <laughs> I always love that trick, says Nev Campbell. They all laugh, except the black girl, because I totally forgot about her for a minute just now. The 90s were a crazy time. <laughs> James Fritz, clap your hands. Who do we got, round two? Someone's ready, and it's Tony Sam. Let him hear it. All right, who picked, who put in Don Quixote? Which Aaron one? Vaughn. Oh, terrific. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. It would be three days' journey to the next village. And one thing was quite certain, my friends. The leathery, sun-drenched ball bags of, <laughs> of Don Quixote, his squire Sancho, and Rasenante. <laughs> His skinny but well-hung nag were bloated with a black batch of baby picante, (laughs) aching to be blown in some filthy migrant road slit. (laughs) Ahem, I mean elegant ladies of the evening. (laughs) Keeping in with the theme. Chivalry wouldn't be dead on Quixote's watch, even if he, his squire, and a horse with a cock like a mangled Louisville slugger had left a trail of dead puss in their wake of fucking and sucking across the now cum soaked fields of La Mancha. <laughs> it had been too long since the three had run a train on a fruit stand owner or 
or an innkeeper's daughter. And Quixote could see that the double jalapeno bags of his squire and his well-hung horse were about to burst. And he wasn't about to let that steamy hot queso go to waste. (laughs) There's a theme. (laughs) Delusional? Fuck yes. But a gentleman? Perpetually. (laughs) Quixote pulls up the reins on Rasinante. And he goes, Whoa, boy! Sancho, my faithful amigo! See, Senor Don? I couldn't help but notice both of your tortillery, tort, tortillae sex milk holders bulging, <laughs> bulging with pressure. And poor Rasanante dragging on the rocky desert terrain like a rusty muffler on a 92 Taurus. A motorized horse I envisioned once while skull fucking an armadillo. <laughs> After all, this is the 1600s. <laughs> what can we do, my liege? Sancho said. The closest town is three days' journey. <laughs> As was said earlier. <laughs> Nay, echoed Rasinante, stepping on his own tired dick like a beached moray eel. It's good. (laughs) I think we should do the gentlemanly thing here and release our love guacamole lest we we find ourselves dying from a burst testicle. (laughs) Which is very pragmatic reasoning. Agreed, Sancho said, without hesitation, licking his sun-cracked lips. Nay, Again, said Rocinante, who was fully able to understand English or Spanish or whatever the fuck bullshit language they were speaking. (laughs) The point is, if they didn't start fucking each other and quickly, their balls would explode and they'd all die, never completing Quixote's master plan to revive chivalry. Uh, And to make matters worse, on top of all that, they'd run out of food and welcomed, welcomed, a hot ball full of creme fraiche down their throats. Anyway, to the fucking. (laughs) Quixote dismounted and lovingly gathered up Brasinante's long weathered ding-dong like an old garden hose and began licking it up and down (laughs) and down while rubbing his horse balls like a kid oiling his new baseball glove. All right. Sancho removed Quixote's armor and pants, and without even spitting on his. What? (laughs) Without even spitting on his tamale hole, he surprised Quixote and jammed it into his unsuspecting ass. Sancho! Quixote cried. The chivalrous thing to do would have been to lick my turd hole first. Forgive me, Don Quixote. I am but a simple farmer that you recruited, and I know nothing of these things. (laughs) I will pull out. Bullshit, 
you will, fucker. You're in my chivalry shoot, so you better fill me up or I'll thrash you. <laughs> so he worked his cock deep into Quixote, who bit down harder on that horse dick with each thrust. To make a long story short... <laughs> The three came one at a time with the help of a thorny cactus and a 1600s version of some tapatio (laughs) at what seemed like 10-year intervals, which is a fun fact because part one and two of Don Quixote were actually published 10 years apart, even though they're published now at the same time. (laughs) But I digress. Anyways, the three agreed not to include this sidestep from their more conventional adventures in the recount of the journeys at a later date and agreed that if anyone ever asked what happened, if any of them had engaged in a threesome with, say, I don't know, a horse and another man, they would all agree to say that they were raped by road pirates while blindfolded, so who could really be sure what happened? And guess what? The three slept better that night than they'd ever slept after any of the boring bullshit adventures in that stupid old book that I'm proud to say that I still have never read. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Tony Sam. And your final round two competitor, Mr. D.C. Pearson. There he is, D.C. Hi, I have the road. Like Cormac McCarthy. (laughs) The man and his son were trying to get to the ocean. They were walking down a road. They came across a thing. It was on the side of the road. It was pink and lumpy. It was like a puddle too proud to admit it was a puddle. It was like a big, semi-sentient flong. But the man and the boy couldn't eat it. They found that out right away. (laughs) Tastes acidy, said the boy. The man grunted. Because the author dictating his actions has never read any Cormac McCarthy, he knows he'll get to it. Calm the fuck down. Descriptions of McCarthy had led him to believe that that's what someone in a Cormac McCarthy book would respond. (laughs) It was some kind of indistinct post-apocalyptic mutant slime and they couldn't eat it. But they could fuck it. (laughs) The man pulled out his stem. The author dictating this, uh, his actions, referred to his own penis that way as a joke the other day and his girlfriend was totally grossed out by it. But so now the author has no choice but to propagate stem as a fun, gross thing for people to call penises. (laughs) The boy followed suit. It was biological. The man knew they'd never make it to the ocean. Spoiler alert, if that's what actually happens in the road. (laughs) And the boy would never experience sexual gratification with another organism. This was the man's gift to the boy. Father and son, on the side of a road, in the gray waste the world had become, began to fuck a giant mutant slime cake. (laughs) The man grunted, now for a different reason. A car pulled up, A retro-futuristic 70s car. Mad Max got out. (laughs) Oi, blokes. That looks like a right good fuck. (laughs) 
The boy grunted in reply. The man felt proud. His boy would grow up to be a recalcitrant, minimalist literary protagonist just like him, if he grew up at all. (laughs) Mad Max whipped out his boomerang-shaped stem and stuck it into another part of the pink life sludge. No rules, just Roy, Mad Max sighed. Because if he can generalize about an entire group of people, so can we. (laughs) The fuck noises echoed across the wastes. People gathered. Sex moths to the cum flames. (laughs) Whichever cast members of The Walking Dead are still alive. (laughs) The Bruce Willis character from Twelve Monkeys. Will Smith from I Am Legend and his white counterpart Charlton Heston from Omega Man. All the John Connors, Ed Furlong, Christian Bale, the random non-speaking dude you see briefly at the beginning of T2. Even Katniss Everdeen, who the author realizes is more from a, or from a dystopic world than a post-apocalyptic one. But you gotta get some women in there, and post-apocalyptic fiction is nothing if not a great, big, burned-out, car-encrusted, ozoneless, sky-scorched sausage party. <laughs> they gathered, and they too fucked the pink mutant goo pile. They all got in there. At one point, Snowpiercer even plunged full steam ahead in and full steam out, in, out, in, out, into the thing until its tip squirted brown, protein-laden cricket goo, which the author, side note, is convinced they're actually going to try to make us eat in a few years. Just you watch. It's going to start as an L.A. health fad first. The author's not even a conspiracy guy, but just you see if he isn't right. The pink mutant sludge was full of every drop of cum in the hole of the dead cinder that was the world. If it had been water or gas instead of cum, they all would have slaughtered each other for a chance to wring it out into their car or mouth. The mutant thing changed. The cum changed it. It became human. It became you. You said, I used to love this post-apocalyptic stuff. I ate it up. It seemed savvy to enjoy it, like, I see what's coming. I even enjoy what's coming. I had one of those what-I-do-in-a-zombie-apocalypse plans that I was constantly refining over beers with my equally savvy friends. And I can't help but wonder if I wasn't helping to will all this into existence or at least foster a cynical acceptance of the installment plan way they were building this world, or more to the point, disassembling the old good one, stripping it for parts and for profit. Sci-fi used to depict a great future, something to aspire to. Star Trek actually inspired actual astronauts and physicists. I don't know what all this stuff could inspire, but cynics, doomsday preppers, and people who were sure this would all be just like permanent burning man with cooler kills. And I loved it. I really did. It was neat. But in retrospect, I realized that liking this stuff did not make me more mature or cooler than kids who just loved Star Trek or Superman and all of their hopeful corniness. This sucks. I hate this. It was cool to watch and read about. Watching it and reading about it did dick when it came to preparing me for it. It did less than dick when it came to preventing it. And no one was going to prevent this but people like me. Normal people. And I get it. We like that which deals with our subconscious worries. But the worrying never turned into fixing. I wish it had. I was a savvy, smart, college-educated fanboy, and now I'm a giant amoebic cum sponge. (laughs) The guy from The Walking Dead shot you in the face. (laughs) 
The man grunted. They would eat good tonight. <laughs> DC Pearson. They're in here. Let's get everybody from round two back to the stage. Let them all hear it as they slowly meander. And uh, I will remind you once again what everybody read, and then we'll be voting on a winner for round two. We started with... Oh, easy, buddy. We started with Jake Fogelnest uh, of Mice and Men, then Tony Sam with Don Quixote. Uh, t- uh, sorry, then James Fritz with The Craft, then Tony Sam with Don Quixote, and finally DC Pearson with The Road. So pick a favorite, starting with Jake Fogelnest of Mice and Men. James Fritz, The Craft. Tony Sam, Don Quixote. (laughs) DC Pearson, The Road. Well, that's DC Pearson. You guys were real lackluster for all four of them. I'm not going to lie. I thought we were waiting for like a big eruption. Everybody's average. Well, that's been round two, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Tony Sam has nothing else to say. Uh, You've been uh, present. Uh, Give it up for your round two and round one comics as best as you've been all night with what I assume are hands attached. That does it for round two. To hear round one from this show, go back and download episode 90. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. It's a big help, as are positive comments. And for more details, you can always follow me on Twitter, at Brian Cooking, or follow the show, at CEFanfic. See you next time. Now leaving Nerdist.com. 